Welcome back, Father Anthony. I'm back. Hello. You're back. Hello. Hello. Um, yeah, it was a kind of a serendipitous thing that I recorded this bonus episode with Michael Heinlein about his book uh, on, on Cardinal George. And uh, uh, then you kind of, you see, folks, you have to understand, a three-hour time difference is actually really hard to schedule sometimes. It is. It is, though. <laughs> Especially, like, in the evenings. You might have some free time in the evening, but then I'm busy in the afternoon. And right. then before you know it, it's just, then it's too late. Um, good news is I've become a morning person, so I can actually do earlier in the day now. Because I was going to make a whole thing about how um, I had a whole thing planned out about making fun of you about not being there. But okay, why was I not there? I had something going on. You had a bunch of funerals, and you, and you had right. like three funerals that week. Last week was yeah. the week of many, many funerals. Yes, Jeez. with many eulogies. Many eulogies. Seven <laughs> at one of mine. Seven eulogies at one of mine. This was yeah. not a mass, right? This is the non-mass this was, one. This was outside of mass. Um, this is the one that made you that made that screwed everything up. Yes, yes, it did. I was unaware. <laughs> um, I think a lot of people weren't aware. Uh, so it was like especially four eulogies, which is a lot. Um, but it was four groups of people who gave various amounts of eulogies. So it was it was yeah. a lot. It was a lot. I have a principle of one before mass starts, five minutes max. Yeah. What we normally do is, you know, we we you know strongly encourage eulogies to happen at the funeral home, and at mass, yeah. if you want to do it, you know, send us a copy of it. It has to be yeah. written, because uh, you know, believe it or not, uh, this is not, most of the time people just say nice things about their deceased loved ones, which is fine. Mm-hmm. But you know, every once in a while, However, you get a crazy person who makes some like uses this as a, a bully pulpit to make some sort of theological. Mm-hmm. saying or they'll, they'll or go get off really the crude really crude and stuff and it's like we can't have that so it's not that yeah. you know most people are nice and it's fine whatever uh but whew, um yeah so we have to we try to be careful about that but for something that's a funeral outside of you know mass i'm usually more lenient about eulogies and stuff but uh, yeah. i did not expect this to happen usually a funeral outside of mass takes like maybe 15 minutes oh, um no. yeah and this was this was well over an hour so uh, you know, I always say if you want to do more i always say to people if you want to do more the best time to do that is at the reception afterwards yeah yeah i, I agree that is a great time we'll set up the mic system for you mm-hmm. you have everyone who wants to be there to be there who knows who want you know it's a good time mm-hmm. it's a good time but it's good to have you back yes yes hopefully yes. we'll be able to get some more regular yeah because it's like it's there was weird. one time i couldn't make it there was one time you couldn't make it and you know folks that's just the way it is sometimes because mm-hmm. you know we're busy in parishes and so that's just the way it goes so, um, so this past week uh, was my eighth ordination anniversary. Do, 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 do. Eight years. And I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before. You know, this is a kind of a big deal for me. I mean, this year is a little bit different too because it is my also my 40th birthday in March, mm-hmm. uh, which is kind of a, also a big, you know, I don't really care about my birthday that much anymore, but 40 is kind 40, of when you want to celebrate. Yeah. 40 when you celebrate. Yeah. Anyways, so. There's a couple things going on. So first was like the week before my ordination anniversary, like I kind of came to a realization of why I'm always insanely busy. Mm. I never scheduled out the time it takes to do things. Okay. And realized that before I have any appointments, it's like 57 hours a week or something like that. Yeah. Can't remember if I, maybe I mentioned this on the last podcast. I can't remember anymore now. It's been a while. Anyways. So one thing I asked the parish, I'm like, you know, if, hey, if you're looking for a way to help, like meals I can throw in the freezer and that I can just heat up would be amazing help. Mm-hmm. Well, like within the span of a week, I got something like, like 
40 or 50 meals already. <laughs> Which is, I've never had anything like that in a parish before. It was mm-hmm. quite moving. Yeah, oh, that's very nice. And then, like, as the ordination anniversary is approaching, I'm starting to suspect, you know, maybe a little something's going to happen on the Sunday. Yeah. You know, maybe some cake at coffee time. Sure, after mass. sure, sure, sure. Which is nice. It's a nice thing. Uh, so, Saturday night, it kind of, unfortunately, like, they tried to surprise it. It kind of got, um, it didn't quite happen the way they wanted, but like they took me <laughs> to my favorite Italian restaurant oh, nice. on yeah. Saturday night. Yeah. A bunch of people, which was very nice. Um, it was a great time. Uh, La Stella Trattoria and Nanaimo's. They make their own pasta and everything. It's mm-hmm. quite good. And they make an amazing tiramisu. Ooh. I do like a good tiramisu. Hey, maybe we'll have to check it out when you're here. I'm all for it. Um, but then, so Sunday Mass happens, and I'm like, okay, maybe something's going to happen. I, you know, I greet people after Mass, and people are thank, you know, congratulating me on my ordination anniversary. I'm like, how did they know? I didn't tell them. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, so things are going off in my head. So I go downstairs. As I come down the stairs, there's like a massive roar of applause of <laughs> and cheering. <laughs> like, there was like, I swear it must have been like 200 people downstairs Aww. from the parish. And they had like balloons and streamers set up and everything. And, you know, so my past, my parish coordinator, Maria, uh, was kind of the brains behind all this. Okay. Uh, and she uses, we use Flocknote, which we're really starting to love in the parish. And she, she created a separate email list so that I wasn't on it <laughs> to reach out to the whole parish. <laughs> nice. It's very smart. And, uh, and uh, so someone sponsored food for lunch for everyone down there and uh, cake. But then they gave me uh, a gift. The parish kind of came together to give me a gift. Was it a new moose? No. Oh, okay. Uh, was it um, a big old bottle of maple syrup? No. Was it um, a new snowblower? No. <laughs> so hmm. uh, uh, so they, I get this little gift bag, and there's a tin in it. I'm like, oh, good, cookies. And <laughs> Yay, cookies. In the tin, in the tin yeah. was $2,200 worth of Amazon gift cards. What? Knowing that everyone kind of, so I guess she was looking at my Amazon wish list and saw how expensive the books are off and on it. And uh, <laughs> they gave me a crap ton of Amazon gift cards, which I've already spent. Uh, so, <laughs> Well, I mean, you, you already have the list. Why wait? <laughs> the list. Plus, I've been, I'm now starting to pick up the complete works of St. Augustine in English. Amazing. Because uh, that's a good thing to have. Yes. I was like, I was actually moved to tears. I actually honestly felt like a 10th anniversary celebration mm-hmm. <laughs> like in many ways. Like yeah. I said to her, I'm like, listen, birthday, if you want to do cake, that's fine. That's it. Please. I can't. Please, I can't. I can't that take it. It's too love. much love. Too much love. It would, it would also be too much to ask of the parish, I think. Yeah. You know, it's like one one big celebrations a year is plenty thank yeah, you very much sure, sure. um but like i was moved to tears and then like my choir have you ever heard the song like i'll fly away uh, i'll no. fly away oh glory I'll oh yeah yeah, fly yeah, yeah. Away. yeah sure. so they reword the song as don't fly away oh father don't <laughs> fly away we want you to remain as our pastor don't fly away that is it adorable was like really, it was adorable like i was like crying during the whole thing so i've never been like so so and i have a lot of parishioners who listen to the podcast and everything too so thank you to saint peter's parish and i have never it's, i've only it's been very rare i've experienced that kind of level of love on an ordination anniversary and um 
and I, I said to the parish too, that the greatest gift to me was the fact that we saw so many people together after mass to celebrate something yeah. as a parish. And people were saying that they've not experienced, it's been, it's either they haven't, or it's been a very, very long time since they've experienced something like that in a parish. And so uh, I am waiting for the other shoe to fall <laughs> and for something horrible to happen. Something horrible no. to happen. No, don't think that way. No, <laughs> this is the, this is the pastor brain at play. Mm-hmm. Oh, all this good stuff's happening. Something bad's coming down the pipe. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know the feeling. <laughs> so, but so that's, that was my good news. And I just wanted to share it uh, with podcast land because uh, I love my parish very much. And, uh, and uh, they're going to have to drag me out of here kicking and screaming if they ever want to move me. Nice. That's great. So welcome to Cleric Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. And I am a Father Anthony who is engaging in a new a new coffee adventure, Father Harrison. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. recently I started doing the uh, intermittent fasting sort of dealio. Because mm-hmm. let's be honest, I'm not going to eat healthier, but I can eat less. And that's been going very well. Uh, because right. I kind of like half-heartedly eat breakfast anyway. So I'm basically doing a thing where I don't eat from like 9 to... Um, one o'clock, uh, which cuts out like my 11 uh, p.m. Like, let me raid the, the the kitchen and eat whatever I can sort of thing. So it's been going well. Actually, I've been feeling overall better and it just feels nice to take a little bit more control. because I'm thinking more about what I'm going to eat. It's just it's good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I like is that I can just skip breakfast and drink coffee without feeling guilty about it. This is an OK thing for me to do. So getting more and more into black coffee because you can't put any cream or sugar or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, like, even though I love, I love my little espresso um, guy, you can't like sip on espresso. Like you kind of just down the shot, right? Mm-hmm. And so luckily, a uh, a priest who who visits, uh, who is in residence in Pittsburgh, but is from Kenya, went back to Kenya for Christmas and brought back some Kenyan Ooh. coffee. Ooh. Um, now it was interesting. It was instant coffee, but it was very good. And super easy, super easy to make up some uh, instant coffee. Definitely mm-hmm. different flavor profile than other coffees I've had, but I enjoyed it. But what I really enjoyed was having once again a cup of coffee, which I have not had in a long time. And Keurig just doesn't do it for me anymore. It's like, bleh, bleh. okay. Um, so I have bought one of those little Chemex thingies, the the pour over dealio. Uh, Mm Because I figured that's probably a pretty quick way. I got one that does like three cups. Um, So I'm very excited about that. Uh, So I got the Chemex thingy with the little filters, the pour over. I'm going to make sure the bloom is good and all that jazz. But um, there we go. We're back into large, large mugs of of coffee. And I'm loving it. It, There is just something to sipping on a good cup of joe. Right. That makes like I mean I'm I'm a I mean I'm I'm visiting I'm in Vancouver right now I'm actually yeah. at All Saints Parish in Coquitlam on a study break right now so I'm drinking their Keurig coffee but I have like my little espresso machine and that's I have my big mug mm-hmm. in the morning and I am a very I actually just bring it with me to the chapel and I pray and I drink my coffee with Jesus. Now I have been uh, dabbling back in, I've done French press before so I've been doing a lot of that but it feels like too much of a process to me. It's too much work. It's too much work. It is like you know Way to do it work. right you know and then to clean the little filter thingy and stuff. I want to like put grinds in a filter, pour some water, then pour some more water, and then boom coffee throw the filter out. That's what I want to do. Right. I don't want a whole percolator because those get gross over time. You know, I just right don't want percolator. Yeah, no, no, they they are they are. Um... 
they are just too much work. Yeah, just too much sure. work. So and we're gonna I try the Chemex thing. I don't have time for for. I just don't have. That's why I like my Nespresso machine. I, I just I I put in my pod and and that's it. Yeah, and it's good coffee. Yeah, there you go. You know, so so um, it's always good to you know. I got a little something I want to do a little something different today. I want to do a little mix up. Okay. One part Suma. One part theological emergencies. Okay. Yeah. I have I have a Suma. I have a someone tagged this for Suma thing, so I want to. Okay. And I definitely have. There's definitely a, one theological emergency I have to answer. Okay. So so, they, so you, perfect. Let's do so it. So let's go first into the Suma Tweetologica. Suma Tweetologica. Suma Tweetologica. Suma Tweetologica. You know the Suma is is uh, is a classic. Classic. Right? It's a it's a classic for us. And um, this this was brought to my attention. If I can just find it here uh, by uh, oh my gosh, now where was it? anyways? Can't remember. Um, so this is from Susanna Black Roberts at Susania. My stupidest moral hazard-ridden Brunig-style take is that the state should pay for the wedding of any cohabitating couple where the woman is pregnant. Is this rewarding irresponsible and moral behavior? Yes. Will it likely lead to better and more stable home lives and happier and healthy adulthoods as children, as the, uh, for the child as well as for the parents? Also, yes. Now, what was interesting was that... Uh, Dan Walden or at D Walden writes starts to engage in this uh, debate saying, well, wouldn't this invalidate marriages um, in the church? Because yeah. like, she's so Suzanne is not Catholic. Oh, Harry D'Agostino that, at Agostino underscore Harry was the guy who brought okay, it so up. The, so the, the, the original take is that if uh, somebody's cohabitating, um, the state should pay for their marriage to in order to create a more stable family life. Correct. Okay. And then He's asking, hey, does that invalidate marriages in the Catholic right, sense? Because now, and I think it's a fair point. So mm -hmm. uh, the monetary incentive could likely uh, be regarded as independent, as well as the church tends to frown upon getting married while you're pregnant for the sake of the baby. Uh, wait a second. Wait a second. So, so maybe I'm frowned. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase yeah. that. Sorry. Um, that, that could be seen as a possible... Um, not impediment. That's not the right word. Um, that that could be seen as a, pr a, a pressure yes. uh, that could invalidate consent. Yes. So uh, being pregnant, the quote unquote classic shotgun wedding uh, may be an outside pressure that impedes your ability to exchange vows because you're yes. being pressured in that way. Okay. So there's that. Yes. And then um, the monetary thing. And then you said something else about ba, 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 ba. can't remember what else you said there. But anyway, yes. Interesting. Anyways. So, I'm curious, what would you say to this? Because I thought it was a very cool take, and I kind of like, I'm like, this is kind of interesting on a larger level about different celebrations in general, but... 
I mean, part of it is this is is my ever changing um, philosophies on on government, and uh, not an expert in politics by any sense of the imagination. But you know what? I am okay with the idea that it is part of a society's duty uh, with government to to do things for the common good. So if you want to support marriage to build a stable home life, uh, that is good for the nation and the people and the common good. Sure, okay, yeah, I can kind of see where that takes coming from, and I don't care. Like, it, some people get very upset about, so, in, but, 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 one, this particular policy, I don't know if that would actually incentivize getting married. I think sometimes marriage is about the money, but, like, the actual, to pay for the wedding, what does that mean? I don't think it's going to incentivize actually getting together and getting married. So, um, while I, I'm not opposed to the state being helpful in promoting marriages in some sort of way, uh, this, this strikes me as, it's, that's not it. Um, so, I think, but I think she's trying to get to this idea as like, yeah. it's good for the child. Uh, yeah, it's definitely good for the child to have two parents. I'm just saying, I don't know if the state paying for a wedding is going to make more marriages happen. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So maybe it would, but I, I don't know. That's a weird thing. But I'm not opposed to it in principle, to be honest. I just don't think it would be effective. Right. Um, that being said, yeah, I think it would very much complicate things on the Catholic end. Um, yeah. Uh, it would It would require... You know, okay, so this is the thing. I think we may have talked about this sometimes uh, in your marriage file. Uh, when the priest thinks that something is a little bit fishy, uh, he will scribble down a little note. Like, not like super fishy, you know, but like a little fishy. Scribble down a note and put it there in the marriage file. And it's a right. little, little insurance. So, for example, um, one of these times I did this, uh, a couple told me that they were going to get a, um, a prenuptial agreement. And prenuptial agreements yeah. are a big no-no because in the prenuptial agreement... It assumes that marriage is a contract that can be broken. If a couple right. goes into marriage thinking that it can be broken, they're not free to exchange the totality of their vows. Okay, So if you need a prenuptial agreement just to make your family calm down and get off your back, we you know send the prenup to our diocesan offices, whatever, and they write like an addendum saying that even though the prenup says this, the couple understands it to you know marriage to be indissoluble blah 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 okay uh, but they would not give me the prenup so we could get that thing finished finally mm -hmm. it's a few weeks before the wedding i'm like guys what's going on i said you know what we decide not to do it not to get mm -hmm. the prenup and i wrote a little note a little note put in the marriage file saying this is what happened this is what they told me uh and to my knowledge uh there is no prenuptial agreement and boop, pop it in there um as just like if something were to happen with the marriage, if they went into this uh, not really intending to exchange their vows fully, and later on there's problems in their relationship and they realize that they search for annulments, that might help speed along the process a little bit. Now, right. we assume we assume that the marriage is valid and good. That's what we assume. But it's kind of like right. a little just in case there. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm not sure if I would agree with the take in general. Uh, because if a couple's cohabiting is pregnant, um, there's often reasons why they're not married. Uh, yeah. Some of them good, some of them not good. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I don't know if that is going to, like, it could create a, I know it sounds weird to say, but like, we have to realize sometimes, like, there's competing moral goods at, at play here. Mm -hmm. 
and, and we also and, and that um, how do I want to put this? Once that you have a child, um, the moral issues around cohabitating lessen in a way. <laughs> For the sake of the child, is well, no, saying. just because just because children change intimacy and yes. the ability to have it. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Yes. <laughs> you hear this a lot as a priest, so you know it's like things change, mm-hmm. um, and that's that's so. And is is their being together going to actually be good for the, you know? There's a lot of different questions, and it really does get to each situation in many ways. Right. But I do think I like the kind of idea that's behind it, which is how can like because like this is a question I've been actually, and I may actually address this in presbyteral exhortations here in a bit. But um, I've been pondering this because like I have a lot of families, for example, who delay baptism until like like so for I've discovered this that like. I asked some Filipino families who've been wanting baptism. Why do you guys keep on waiting till the first birthday? Yeah, I don't know. Why is that? And I, I was given a very simple answer: it's cheaper. Huh? Because for both the first birthday and the baptism, you're expected to have a major celebration. Oh my goodness! Okay, right? You're probably spending thousands of dollars on food and gifts and all this jazz for each of those celebrations. Now, imagine you're an immigrant family who's, you know, dad's working two jobs, minimum wage probably, or just above minimum wage. Mom's maybe on mat leave and rent has like skyrocketed in our area, like 25% in one year um, due to like just influx of people. Um, So when you have that at play, I understand that. It's like how, so for example, taking Suzanne's uh, idea, mm-hmm. how can the church like, inc- like actually build upon those good things? Like, hey, yeah, we actually think it's good that you want to celebrate baptism sure. this way with like a hundred people. Yeah. Like, what a beautiful thing to do. It's great that you want to celebrate the first birthday. How can we help you do that without having to like delay grace? So you can get your baby baptized as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is where the church's kind of social outreach stuff can can start to play on a very practical level to help people know like your parish, this parish is home for you, et cetera. Yeah. I think so like that's why I kind of chose it. Cause I was like, I don't know if I'd agree with this around the wedding idea. Yeah. But and the same thing actually with weddings though, for like like man, like I, I've learned so much about Filipino culture the last <laughs> few weeks. Yeah. <laughs> in a good way. Yeah. Like how many of them get married civilly and they don't even know what the church teaches on marriage. Mm. Uh, that's a big one. And they often do it because the church in the Philippines charges like a ton of fees mm-hmm. for marriage. And they don't want to invite 400 people. Cause if you have a church wedding, you're expected to invite like your fourth cousins. Yeah. Oof. So then how can we say, Hey, we want you to celebrate and get married um, without having to fork out $30,000 or something like that. <laughs> yeah. How can we do that? Is there a way to do that? And, and I think there are ways. I'm not sure exactly what it looks like concretely, but I think that's where, like, this is how the church has to start thinking. And so that's why I like Suzanne's tweet, because I'm like, I don't agree with this on, like, that state level thing. Sure. But it actually, there's something to it, I think, on a larger scale idea about how the church can be for both her parishioners who come and don't come right now mm-hmm. uh, on a larger social level and to sell and to, sell, and to take the gift of other cultures. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. And that would be, yeah. you know, it'd be fascinating is to, um, see if <laughs> I'm just gonna be stereotypical. Can we, can we, can I be that for a second? I'm just yeah. imagining a lot of Anglos being very disappointed that their church money was going to fund a Filipino, uh, party, oh, yeah. right? <laughs> but that, I, I find that, well, I, I think that would be more of an American thing than a Canadian thing though. Interesting. Yeah. It might be. No, I mean, 
my experience and no, like I've been yeah. to some American universities. I'm like, where's all the, where's the, like, why is it all white people here? Mm-hmm. It's very weird to me. Yeah. Like we're very multicultural here and that's, I think a gift in Canada. Yeah. I think it depends on where you are in the States, but yeah, in a lot, uh, but okay. But I think maybe the, the, the deeper and less, uh, of an easy <laughs> point to make is that, uh, to, because on one level, it might strike someone to say like, you know, well, then, then don't just have, a, then don't have a party, you know, be fiscally mm-hmm. responsible. Uh, listen right. to Gordon Ramsay. Like you can't, you can't, you have to get out of debt before you can have a, a baptism party. Right. Um, it's, it's a challenge to our cultural values um, mm-hmm. and to kind of enter into that conversation where it's like, no, this is actually a good thing and we should support yeah. this maybe. You know, I think even just starting that conversation is like, um, well, yeah. what is, we'll what is money more. for? Yeah. Yes, so. we'll deal with this more in uh, definitely there was this more in presbyteral exaltations. Okay. Well, that's good enough. So I'll, I'll, let you, this. <laughs> I'll let you I'll let you get to your uh, theological emergency. All right. Wow. So many bumpers this episode. It's time for theological <laughs> emergencies. Hey, Nick had it easy last week. That's true. He has to put in two whole bumpers this week. I, I, I think he can handle it. He's a big boy. <laughs> Thank you for calling Clerically Speaking. If this is truly a theological emergency, please dial 1 at any time. Hi, I flushed my goldfish down the toilet, and I wanted to know, is that a sin? Theological Emergency. We'll take your call at 412-912-7995. I am Isabella from Ohio. In the Gospel of Matthew, it says the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised after raising. How long did they read for? Also, could St. Joseph have been one of them? Thank you. <laughs> I feel like Riley has put uh, one of her like nieces up to the game here about res- immediate resurrection stuff yeah no no i i'm pretty yeah. sure that this is not one of riley's various family members um because none okay. of them live in ohio if this is okay actually okay. isabella and if she's actually from ohio <laughs> um so this okay. is this is an interesting question because there is that really weird uh section in matthew that you know the temple veil is torn there's an earthquake and all of a sudden dead people are walking around what what was what's going on there um so uh, i'll give this it's a very good question it's very weird and also the idea of like it was saint joseph one of them that's you know also um, i just love it that she notices this at this age yeah because it's super crazy and has this this great question yes it's a great question I, i wonder how old she is I, who knows? But she's a genius for, for reading yes. this, understanding this, and asking yes. a very good question. Okay, so um, I think there's there's different ways to in, uh, interpret this passage. Um, one, there very well could have been um, as a promise or sign of uh, the resurrection, something similar to what happened to Lazarus. So not a full resurrection but kind of this resuscitation so uh, these people were going to die again uh, and maybe that would have happened i think more likely is that matthew all of a sudden is seeing this vision because in that scripture right. passage he's saying a bunch of things are happening at once 
like the Temple of Vale is torn. There's an earthquake. It's almost like if you see a movie and there's like the scenes cut from this image to that image to this image. Mm-hmm. And that image of the dead rising from their graves and walking around and like being a witness to the resurrection, that is um, kind of like this vision of what is to come because because right. of what Christ did on the cross, this will happen. And right. so it's this like mystical vision of what's going on. So I interpret it more as not a literal um, resurrection, though I think you know there's room for that, but as kind of a vision of the things to come. And so... St. Hmm. Joseph eventually will uh, enter the resurrection, but I don't think he, this was like the actual moment. Because also, if you think about it, like this moment of Christ's death and the tearing of the temple veil, this is this moment that like explodes and rips through time. Um, so Matthew's seeing, uh, so time becomes, how do I want to say this? Um, this is, you know, kind of a, a an eternal moment is inaugurated and Matthew is catching glimpse of what it means for the future, for the past, for the present. So I'd see it more as a vision than as a a literal thing that happens. So let's just hear what happens in scripture. And Jesus cried out again in a loud voice and gave up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the sanctuary was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, rocks were split. Tombs were opened and the bodies of many saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming forth from their tombs after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Here we go. Okay. I'm kind of curious about who had fallen asleep. So this is, this is interesting because yeah. So first it uses, it actually uses a different phrasing than resurrection. Mm -hmm. So I 20 bucks says, um, 20 bucks says this is probably similar to a, um, Lazarus raising. Okay. That's my, I, I don't have time to look it all up right now, mm-hmm. uh, but doesn't use the same word for resurrection. Like resurrection means under your one's own power, almost essentially while yeah. raised from the dead means someone's doing this to you. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. Um, so it could be that that's like the initial thing. Uh, even cause I think some Paul says something about this too, if I remember correctly. Um, but I can't, I I'm forgetting right now. So I, I, I have a feeling that it could be that, there could have been some of the saints. So like, this is probably some of the prophets, et cetera, of the old Testament could have actually even been possibly raised, but not in terms of like a resurrection of the body, mm-hmm. but like kind of like a Lazarus raising as a kind of sign of the first fruits. Mm-hmm. And it would be very interesting to look at the connection with the temple stuff. So in other words, I'm going to have to probably hold back opinion for a bit to do some research on that question. Cause it's a very good question. Yeah. Uh, I just haven't given it a lot of thought. The other thing is, I know I did a paper on this in seminary and oh, I cannot remember what, it, what the conclusion I came to was, but I know for sure. I've That's researched interesting. This. <laughs> That's because interesting. this, so, this like whole, this like listen. section, like verse 51 to 53 is, has definitely been looked over a lot. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And I, and isn't it fascinating that a, Someone, someone five years of age or younger or something like that has essentially kind of almost stumped us. Uh, I think I'm not stumped. I think I gave a perfectly coherent explanation. I, I am. I'm hesitant to go um, figurative here. Mm-hmm. That's my only thing. I'm hesitant. And behold, the veil of the same. Like it's, it's this. Yeah, I, I just think it's like this. <gasps> oh, uh, oh, I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. And behold, okay. 
Um, the curtain so of the temple was torn to from top on, and the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also were opened. But like it's the way it's ta- like, I guess it's different. weird. Cause, like I could see, yeah, like almost like by the veil being torn, you're seeing, you're seeing into the heavenly Jerusalem. Yes, right. I get that. The pr- my problem is, and this is where I'd have to get some sort of biblical scholar on here or something yeah. like that to talk about this, because the way it's talking though in first, first fifty two and fifty three, it's almost like it's connected as a historical event with the like. It's not like oh, by t- the torn veil, we now can see into this. Uh, because it's it's sandwiched right after that about the centurion, um, right? But also, yeah, so it's sandwiched. I think it's like it's kind of plugged in there, and also you've got the fact that and coming forth from their tombs after his resurrection, so it's pointing to the future. After his resurrection, they entered the holy city. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's why I think okay. it's like this kind of like broad vision. This, uh, but it, interesting. Yeah, that's interesting. So. Okay. That's a fair point. I'll have to yeah. think about this. So it's it's almost like if you take it literally, uh, the tombs were opened and the bodies of many saints that had fallen asleep were raised. So uh, when Jesus dies, they pop up out of the ground and like, hello. And then after that, they just, they just hang out for a couple days in their tombs or next to their tombs. And then after the resurrection, they enter the holy city, being Jerusalem, and appear to many. And so I feel like that just doesn't vibe yeah. well with me. Yep. Like yeah, I, no, I'm I, open I, to it. I, open to it, but yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm, uh, I'm open to this. Well, I'm open to this. Isabella, whoever's teaching you the faith, must be very smart, holy people. Yeah, who are probably That's... good at destiny too. Maybe, maybe they are. Maybe, maybe, or maybe they were some of these saints who are raised up. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and still <laughs> walking among us. <laughs> <laughs> all right that's good we, sorry we, I, just, we, I just have the vision now of, like all these saints being raised up like this and they're kind of like john travolta from uh pulp fiction meme like the where he's walking around with his hands open right. like <laughs> <laughs> sorry all right let's do some presbyteral exhortations after all that and now it is time for presbyteral Exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good. Quite good. Indubitably. Oh, I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn. <laughs> it's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes. So quite. I'm pulling. Uh, I'm gonna talk about my homily from actually from the weekend of my ordination anniversary, actually, which kind of was all providential in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I. It was. Um, the gospel was salt to the earth, light of the world. And I get hesitant when gospels like that come up Uh because often the phrasing about us being salt and light is so it's it's used with such banality sometimes. Yeah. Oh, you're the light of the world. We're to be the light of the world. What does that mean? Like, but no one actually, it's like, it's, it's an image without content often the way it's used. Yes. It's like, right. Go be good vibes to the world. Exactly. Yes, which is kind of, it's actually extremely banal. Um, because it challenges us not at all. Right. So I'm going to kind of go a bit into off the cuff kind of what I went into in my homily. Because right. I want to talk about this question. I think I teased this last time. What if grace was so effective it even transformed the land around us? Mm-hmm. That's the question I'm proposing. So my first thought is that what if grace was so effective, um, all the plants outside the church became like glowy and sparkly. That's the first image I have. Yeah, know, everyone knows grace is definitely sparkly. 
Oh yes, exactly. I mean, the fact that you're not levitating right now, Father Anthony tells me just that it's that you clearly are close to grace. Absolutely, absolutely, I am. Yes, um, yeah. There's no halo well, around my head. I mean, really, the whole Sermon on the Mount is about the efficacy of the resur- death and resurrection of Jesus, mm-hmm. because everything he's proposing comes from his person, mm-hmm. right? Like this is Ratzinger, right? He is the law. He is the kingdom in the flesh. All these things. Right. Uh, he's going up the mountain. It's the, the new Mount Sinai. It's the new law. Hence, like this past Sunday's gospel, you have heard it said, I say unto you. Right. This is his ability to actually definitively interpret the law. So, okay. So, um, we're in chapter five, and he's just gone over the Beatitudes. And so, I, I started to look into this. I'm like, let's, uh, let's like, what's salt about in, in scripture? Mm-hmm. And what's the lampstand and all this jazz? And I'm sure there's going to be someone who knows Greek better than me who's going to come after me for some of this stuff, but that's okay. I think generally the idea is there because you have to understand if, 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 um, if he's coming about the new law, he's also coming about the new temple. Right. Because the temple is, is the place where the it is it is what the covenant exists for law right? and worship are intrinsically linked exactly and then add to this like the whole exodus story as ratzinger loves to bring out in spirit of liturgy which is just brilliant and you read and once you read it you're like i have to reread exodus and you're like holy smokes he's it's all there mm-hmm. um which is the primary purpose of the exodus is not freedom from slavery correct it is freedom to worship mm-hmm Right. I mean, always over and over again, Moses, like, we just want to go to the desert and worship for a bit. We'll be back. The only reason he, they yeah, have he to be says, like, we'll be Egypt. back <laughs> the first yeah. few times. The only reason, yeah. <laughs> so the only reason they have to come, they have to be freed definitively is because of the inability of Pharaoh to let them worship. Mm-hmm. So, but freedom to worship. So the covenant is oriented towards worship. This is the foundation of the essence of the Old Testament. And so Jesus is fulfilling this in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. So that's the context you have to read salt and light in. So there are three elements in which generally salt is understood in the Old Testament, right? It's used for flavoring, obviously. Right. It's used for preservatives. Mm-hmm. It's used for worship. It's also used to punish Lot's wife. But that's a pillar of salt. It's more like more emphasis on the pillar than the salt, though. Okay, fair. Yeah. Um, but it's used for worship. Yes. Wait. Uh, where, it's, it's, it, probably, where it's, it's used in the incense. Ew. And it's an and it's an integral part of the off of the of the offering at the temple because they need it for the incense. Ah, okay, okay. So when Christ says that we must be the salt of the earth, uh, and he talks about like it losing its its saltiness, its flavor, etc., but it's also it loses its ability to actually be part of worship. Mm. Because if it loses its saltiness, if it's overwhelmed, like if you if you surround salt with a bunch of sand, it's going to lose its saltiness because it's going to the other elements are going to overtake it essentially and, and destroy it. Um, so that was the first. I was like, hey, that's really interesting. That's used for worship. Okay, cool, 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 cool. And then I started looking at the Greek about um, like so the city is a polis, right? It's more of like a city state than a, how we understand like the contemporary city, right? Yeah, it's like a whole culture of people. Mm-hmm. And it's in this police that the oikos is, the house, right, where the lampstand is found, that the lampstand lights the whole house. Well, oikos is used in the New Testament, from what I read, uh, exclusively around the house of God, Hmm. the house of the Father, Mm. the temple. Hmm. The house 
Yeah. And what and, and, and what are what what is the uh, what are the the lampstands for? Well, they're so, there as a sign of the presence of the Shekinah, the glory of the God mm-hmm. in the uh, house. Also, I'm pretty sure that if uh, any of the Jewish people of the time wanted those lamps to be lit, they'd have to put a little dollar in a box. Otherwise, yes. they couldn't light the lamps. And then they had temple. to flip a switch. Or flip an electric switch. <laughs> <laughs> Biggest gimmick. Biggest oh, scandal so since uh, selling indulgences. So yeah, are the exactly. electric I mean, photo actually worse, actually. I mean, I think it's actually worse. I think it's worse. You know what? I would have been... Actually, yeah. yeah if, you if, actually get grace with an indulgence. Right. Anyway. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> so, so that's really cool. And you're like, okay. And then he says, so like, we're talking temple stuff imagery mm-hmm. here, purely. Like, it, it's like, it's oozing in the passage now. So I'm like, okay, good. This passage is not banal at all. It's not a scripture. Like, that's my thing. If I'm right. having this reaction to it, that tells me I need to go deeper with the scripture. Usually that's what Always. it usually tells me. And I, so that's what I do. And then it talks about the good works. Now, this is where I, I wanted to really dig deep anyways, because we tend to hear good works. And again, we ban, we make it banal. Uh, oh yeah, you know you just gotta love people and you know call your loved ones and blah 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 and yeah, but that's you know that's just human decency. Yeah. Uh, now I'm forgetting the exact Greek word for good. There, it's like I think it's kata or kala, one of those two. I can't remember right now. Anyways, blah blah blah. We it means a, something that has touched the the source of goodness, truth, truth and beauty, and has been transformed by touching that. Hmm. So it's it's transformed by the God by the touching of God's presence, um, and so the work is good, not because we do it, but because it's it's been we've been we've been touched by the presence of God in the temple, and thereby now it shines, it has its saltiness, if you will, it has its right worship in the in the police, so that what how does it end, so that they may glorify your heavenly Father. Mm-hmm. It's all about worship. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff, man. Um, it was really fun to kind of play around with this. Um, mm-hmm. So that was, the, and because that's what the glory is all about. The glory of God is what leads them to freedom to worship Him, right? To worship God. This is the whole point of God's glory. His presence in the temple is there, as the the uh, the certainty that the covenant is there. But now Christ, the new temple, the new Jerusalem, uh, the new house of God uh, in, in, is now in the pole. It's not in a particular sense in Israel, but in a universal sense in the church. Uh, right. So that's your exegetical stuff. Any comments or thoughts before I kind of continue on here? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Father Harrison, isn't this just like you, you are, you are, you just don't want to do any social justice. You just want to say your prayers in oh. your church. That's why you're no. making this thing all instead of about oh, no. action, about worship. Oh, oh, wait. Oh, wait. Oh. Oh, wait. <laughs> so if we, I get any other thing. So if we've been touched by the glory of God through the liturgy, essentially. Um, it starts to demonstrate this connection between that, that liturgy is meant to be the source of Christian action as the means of mediating grace in the world around us. This is what the church exists for. So like I, I've talked about in the homily, how my job as a pastor, you know, we have our three offices to preach and teach, to sanctify and to govern. Mm-hmm. So I said, when it comes to governance, it's simple. I'm there to govern grace. Like, like to help order grace to transform the world 
mm-hmm. in my particular area. I said, my goal is nothing less than this, okay. to change this entire territory I've been get, given charge over and to make and to bring everyone into the to the freedom of Christ. Yeah. Kind of, you know, so that's like 95,000 people. Yeah, no problem. That I have charged for in a way. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, okay. So if that's the case and that we see that what grace, ha- what, like look what happens when grace touches us. These good works manifest themselves in such a way they, because they, they manifest the truth, beauty, and goodness that is God because they transform our action. They make them actually, it's not just me doing this. It's actually something God does in and through me because I keep by him touching me, he changes things, right? Like whenever God touches things, it changes things. This is why actually like as a little side, I started doing liturgical digits again. You start doing liturgical where, digits. Where um, the priest puts his index finger and the thumbs together. A little pinchy. Right? After the consecration. Why? Right. I touch the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And until they've been ritually purified, they shouldn't do anything else. Ah. And also, just in case there's a little little, little crumb of Jesus. I, I used to think that was it. But then I, I, really, that was it. I, I never like, heard about the whole glory of... That's well, cool. This is my thing. As I, I really, really want to do some Old Testament study stuff after all this because it's really like just breaking open my brain right now. Mm-hmm. How much the temple is vital for understanding the church. Because what does grace do in the Old Testament? Like, why do they have six hundred thirteen laws? It's not that God commanded those six hundred thirteen laws, by the way. Right, 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 right. But they're trying to show, like, no, no, our encounter with God's glory changes everything. Yes, how we organize ourselves as a people how we understand our identity, how we relate to our social dynamics, mm-hmm. how sin and fallenness uh, affects things here, how we uh, understand economy, land, all this stuff. Yeah, our bodies, grace, everything. Grace touches everything. Grace, t- Our worship of God is the means by which grace touches everything. Because mm-hmm. at the heart of this, I'm trying to get to this idea more and more without becoming an integralist, because I actually think there's a lot of problems with integralism. Um, what does what does a world transformed by Christ look like? Or at least in, in in like not in this like purely redeemed sense, but in the sense of the redemption starting to take hold of people's lives. Yeah. How does how does grace like ooze out of us essentially? Like if we've touched God's glory in the liturgy, how does that glory manifest itself in the world? Uh yeah. And so like so the idea is to get away from this private notion of uh, faith. And, and by the way, folks, this is all that Vatican do. Correct. Universal call of holiness, baby. Um, so I started to make crazy propositions. So it gets to some, what I was hinting at. Okay. That's <laughs> where we can probably get to. So I've done my exegetical monologue now. Yes. We can probably enter good. into more discussion. Loved it. So I'll give you a few ideas and then you can let me know what you think about this and how this can look about. Because you mentioned the social justice thing or whatever. Yeah. And I hate that term only because I don't hate it. Actually, let me rephrase that. I, I don't like how it's misused. Right. Uh, because justice is not something you do. It's something you achieve through right action. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's been used in a derogatory sense that it's hard to take it seriously anymore. Mm-hmm. We've destroyed it as a word that means something good. Yeah, exactly. Not everyone, but for a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Social justice is a reality to be achieved through charity, mm-hmm. Christian charity. That's what social justice is. It's a, it's social. It is a, it's something that affects the whole body. Like, that's what I want as a pastor, actually. I do want social justice. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a Catholic, you want true social justice that's you know yeah which is that i want 
the balance of the order of things in the realm of society. Yeah. Right. So this is the whole like the house of God and the sake of the police. So the church is never the police. This is why integralism bad. Uh, the church doesn't become the police. She can't. At least not directly. Like mm-hmm. she does maybe indirectly through her members, but she never does directly as in like a bishop runs a city. This is like kind of we tried that out for a while. It was kind of necessary after the decline of Rome. Well, the only people who, who could read or write or had some sort of education were, were bishops. And, 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 and administrative experience. <laughs> exactly. You know, right? so it's so, kind of like a practical thing, not a, a, right. a so, theological so, justification. Okay. Right. But there's something actually to that idea, which is this idea like, look, grace touches everything, even the social order. Mm-hmm. So like I started proposing some ideas, some of my crazy ideas. Like what if we started – and I got some of these ideas from friends as I've been exploring this idea in my own brain. Mm-hmm. Like one friend suggested, you got, we got to do credit unions. And like, yeah, like imagine if we had a parish credit union uh-huh. where we could offer low interest loans so that we could undermine uh, those sinfully evil uh, payday loan companies yeah. that charge outrageous interest in order to keep people to come back over and over again. Yeah. Or you could offer cheaper um, mortgage rates to help a family afford to buy a home. Mm-hmm. But this would mean we would have to become less attached to money mm-hmm. and to actually start to give freely of it more generously, knowing that in giving for others, others are going to give for me and we're all going to benefit from our Christian charity for one another. Ugh, that sounds a little <sighs> bit like early Acts of the Apostles, which makes me feel uncomfortable. So why nope, not going to work? Why? Why, why does scripture make you feel uncomfortable, Father Anthony? I'm just saying, like, that seems like... Why, why do you hate Jesus? I don't know, man. I'm just saying, like, you know, what if... But, I? How can I... How, Father Harrison, how, how can yes. I help the poor when I need to buy all of my Chemex filters uh, for my coffee? <laughs> Those are expensive, and I drink a lot of coffee. <laughs> and you expect me to give money, to lend money to someone who probably isn't even going to pay the church back. Ridiculous. Shouldn't they? We should give them bootstraps, Father Harrison. That's what we're going to donate all of our money to bootstraps. So they, because not everyone has boots. Fair enough. You can't pull yourself up by your sneaker strings. That's ridiculous. But we can give them all bootstraps, and then they can handle the rest from there. God, Father, ha- Father Harrison, just because he has boots. I have been, I have been reliably informed that God helps those who help themselves. What, what, what are we doing here, trying to, the- to form a credit union? So wait, so we have to earn, so in other words, we have to earn God's help. Yeah. And it's only like help. Like we could probably do it by ourselves. Um, He just kind of helps us out. In fact, (laughs) Jesus is really. What a lame view of grace that is. In fact, Jesus is basically just a good example that we can follow. That's all we need is a good example. And we just do that. What a deathly lame view of grace that is. Isn't it though? (laughs) Isn't it? Okay, I'm doing a little bit of caricature of a a different point of view. Um, but, but like, you know, for that yeah, example, so, like there would be people who probably don't pay back their loans or whatever. Um, but like, that's why you have a credit union where you have certain structure. You have to build things up to protect things too. In a reasonable, right, right, like, right. we live in a fucking world, right? Like you're going to have loans unpaid and stuff. And that's a risk we're going to have to take sometimes. Right. But this is why you, like there's still interest. There has to be interest in the modern economy as we have it today. Right. Um, interest isn't always evil, folks. It's not, not, uh, um, um, at least we have to remember when Jesus or when the scriptures are talking about interest, it's a very different thing mm-hmm. than what we have today. Right. There is excessive interest, but I mean, that's a whole other thing. Well, what I'm trying to say is, I say like kind of, I'm trying to add to your yeah. point is that, um, a lot of times when we, um, invest in the parish or we give the parish money, we want to see 
uh, concrete results like we do when we invest in a business or when we mm-hmm. um, buy something from a store. Um, and mm-hmm. that's, you know, um, forming something like a, like a credit union or doing, a, I'm mm-hmm. sure what other crazy ideas are, that's a different way of seeing um, how money works. It's kind of breaking out yes. of a uh, exactly. purely capitalist mindset. It doesn't it's mean like, a, what if our money essentially was touched by grace? Yeah. And it wasn't, what, what's the word making, I'm looking for? Yeah. It wasn't like it's not for its to own like sake. talisman yeah. type of thing exactly. where it becomes like magical. Oh, oh well, man, I like am, to I am just be... a communist on this episode. Isn't that I fun? mean, yes. I mean, no, no. Because like this is the thing. Like it's not like in the church. Like I'm not saying we should put all – like I'm just saying but yeah. imagine like imagine if we started saying I'm going to put some of my excessive income, mm-hmm. excess income to the service of others. Yeah. Whereby I'm not losing my money. I'm just putting I'm, – I'm taking what I don't need right now and taking less interest so that I can actually make sure that others can actually have, have a house and roof over their head. Like what if, what if, for example, the parish, like I have a little bit of a crazy dream, which is that we own as much property as possible within a three block radius around our church. For the record, I am, I am a firm believer that if any property goes up to sale uh, for sale, that's near a church, the church should immediately buy that property. Yes. Yes. Our problem is we don't have a lot of money. Yeah. Um, that, that's what <laughs> that's is a problem. problem. That's yeah. our problem. But and, but why do I say that? Because you could start offering, um, like rent is insane here right now. Mm-hmm. And like families can't come to church because they have to work. Some of them, like especially the immigrant families who are mostly Catholic, uh, have to uh, work two jobs to pay rent because rent has gone up so crazy because they're not building enough houses and stuff and apartments and stuff to actually keep up with the demand of people moving here. Yeah. And so rent goes up like crazy um, and you can't actually afford to take less work time so you can go to church. Um, but what if the church owned houses that they could rent out to, especially like imagine your new family from the Philippines or from mm-hmm. Vietnam or whatever. It would say, Oh, the market, let's say average market price right now is like 1325 for rent for like, and that's like really cheap. Like mm-hmm. that's, if you're looking for a family, you're probably looking 2000, 2500 at the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like a small, like two bedroom place, wow. maybe like an apartment or condo. Like, it's kind of crazy. But imagine the parish saying, we have this house. Yeah, we'll rent it to your family for $1,500 for the first six months. And we'll raise it to $1,800 the next six months. And then while you get yourself established. And then, you know, we'll have, and then you can stay there as long as you need to. We just ask that once you get yourself set up to start thinking about maybe finding another place to live so we can make this place available for others who need it Uh type of thing. Right? Yeah. Imagine your new family and you're like, wow, this parish cares about me so much that they actually went ahead of, before they don't even know who I am and they, they have this place ready to go for me mm-hmm. or students who are coming to, to live there. Yeah. Uh, and this is that, like that's bigger stuff. And, and I have like, I have so many ideas around this all. Um, but then imagine even if it's like one of friends of the, one of the friends of the show, they're doing like a, a laundry ministry to, for moms oh, in nice. the church. I'm like, what a great idea. That's so nice. And like, or, or like, what if like the older, like you're retired, people in your parish who maybe don't live near their family mm-hmm. could say to a family, Hey, can I drop off a meal once a week for you guys? Mm-hmm. You, like you don't, people don't realize like that can save a family and a couple hours of hard work Yeah, that they never get. Mm-hmm. Or you start setting up like a young adult babysitting service that's for free for families. So why so you just go out for once in a while? Yeah. Like, just like, this is, these are the signs that grace has taken hold of us uh, that we actually start, putting our own resources at the service of others mm-hmm. instead of ourselves. And this is what we need to kind of 
undermine a bit in the modern political economical frameworks that we live in. Yeah. That the church is a society. <laughs> she is a self-sustaining society even, and she yeah. can be that. Yeah. And imagine what we could do if we actually started taking that seriously. Mm-hmm. I like it. So these are like, I, I got to trust me. I have like a list of 30 ideas, <laughs> but like the cool thing has been how well received that homily was. Mm-hmm. I had so many people, like I already have someone looking into a possibility of letting up, starting up like a low, low interest, small loan business for the parish for wow. us and people looking into buying or like, it doesn't even have to be the church buying the property, other people buying property around the church at least. Oh yeah. Yeah. Parishioners could maybe do something like this. Because like, like, like the thing I've learned with the immigrant families especially is, well, then they can't get, because then our bus system sucks. Yeah. Because, and so it's hard to get to church on Sunday because the bus system, and imagine you have a kid, but imagine if you live down, down the block, well, now you can just walk there. Yeah. Like this is, this is, it's like, it's actually, it's actually, what I'm trying to do is say, what does the church say a parish is? Mm -hmm. And what does it look like when grace actually takes effect of the parish territory? Yeah. Uh, And that's what we should be thinking as, as terms of parishes. This is how we should be thinking in our terms of the church. This is why I would even argue we need to give more. Yeah. Uh, if if possible, sure. you know, especially if you're retired or whatever, maybe we start giving more. But with the idea of saying, how can I foster some of these ideas? Or like, like so getting to those things earlier about those celebrations with Filipino families. What if we said, hey, no, no, don't worry about it. How many people can invite you to your party? 100 people. Okay, good. We have a team of people who are going to uh, get all the food ready, ready for you. Just come and have a party. Yeah. Get your baby baptized now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do it now. And what do you, then people are like, wait, this parish cares about me. Yeah. I want to I make this a priority of my life. Mm-hmm. Right, and then how does that start to trickle out wars more? Yeah, any I like thoughts it. or crazy ideas? Idea there? No, just that? you like it. I any, do. any thoughts? I mean, yeah. you know, um, this isn't man. This isn't terribly different from what the church has done in the past, anyway. Even for exactly. something like uh, building hospitals that would care for anybody, you know, uh, even schools mm-hmm. were meant for like the the poor <laughs> um, at, at the beginning of when we started building these institutions and stuff. Um, uh, that's kind of the same idea, even in recent history, let alone in, you know, in past history as well. It's like, it's a community that supports each other, um, back into ancient times when you would find it was very much. So a lot of times the, um, uh, the, the, the richer patron who had a house to use for worship and would like let their house be used for worship and stuff like that. And, um, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's not new but what you're looking at is like how do we do that in today's world and i think that's it mm-hmm. makes perfect yeah. sense and how do we take modernity seriously while essentially saying to it uh, we hate you because you isolate like yeah. there's two big things for me uh, this notion of like integration which is like the par- more proper parish ministries are kind of interrelated all the time yeah as they should be mm-hmm. instead of just being siloed yeah but the other thing is proximity mm-hmm. making people close like the, the reason, like essentially the church follows the, the European model of parish, right? This isn't, this is not always, it's not part of divine revelation, but it's essentially the organizing structure of the church. And I think there's something that the church teaches us when it says a parish is a territory of an area yeah. of a particular church of, under a bishop. Um, it's saying like, there's not one area of the world that is not under the care of a bishop. Mm-hmm. Why? Even if there's no Catholics there. Yeah. They're called titular bishops. They're like auxiliaries or something like that. Sure. They have charge over some place where there's no cath, or maybe there's like eight Catholics. There's just yeah. no church. There's no active church there. Um, 
they are, it's the church's way of saying, no, no, God's grace touches the whole world. And it's to transform the whole world. And so this is what the integralists kind of get this right in the sense. And I, I've really, I've seen like, they're right about this idea that the church's life and grace needs to touch everything. They're just wrong about how to do it. They kind of take a modern form of power yeah. and try and impose it. This is more, what I'm proposing this is a more openness to grace me, being mediated through us. Like, so if you're, if you're a lay Catholic listening to this podcast, I want to say this to you. Like you are a mediator of grace as well. Why? Because you're part of the church, which is the sacrament of salvation, universal sacrament. So, so wherever you are, you really do are meant to, make the good works of the father present so that they can glorify him. It's our, it's your job too, then to help with this, to make those choices in life, to start making this a priority and to start helping your, and to start maybe if you can, even encouraging your local pr priest, if possible to say, how can we organize things this way? And to start thinking about, but how do we address it in our area? So yeah. like, like uh, we just did a parish retreat for some leadership and, and I was sharing with them all the stats, what's going on in our area of Nanaimo. Why? Because we need to know this stuff if we want to know what we want to do mm -hmm. to proclaim the gospel. Yeah. So good that's show. All Long show. That's all thanks to uh, Salt of the Earth, Light of the World. Like it. I like it. Cool. Well, oh, yeah. I have to do the script. I guess you, you, you got to do your thing, man. You got to do your thing. I set up the StreamYard link. You do the script. This, yes, is, this, is, this, is, this is the uh, share of power we have. Google Docs. Uh, the thing is, most of my Google document, like before, um, the, the the leading Google document was our script. But recently, um, yeah. all of my ideas for Dungeons and Dragons are like at the top of my uh, <laughs> page. So let me find out where there you are. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me at Father Scrap on the Mastodon. Ugh. You can find me at Fr Harrison. On I went back Liberty and looked Place at Twitter and looked at Twitter, and I, it just made me sad and depressed. I'm not saying Mastodon is a better thing, but I just can't do Twitter anymore. I just oh, that's oh, fair. Oh. Uh, please contact the podcast and receive up to date up to dates updates at ClericalPod on Twitter. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or email us at clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Do you have a theological emergency? Call 412-912-7995. That's 412-912-7995. Peace. God bless.